so. Uh, someone who you may have noticed in recent months has read scripture occasionally or has helped out at, as an altar server. Others of you know that, as Chris introduced me this morning, that I'm an ordained minister in the United Church of Canada and that I served across town at Trinity United Church uh, on Alexis Park Drive for seven years. Some of you will know that last fall I took the step of becoming confirmed as an Anglican, of officially joining the Anglican Church. Well, what I want to say to all of you, to those of you who knew nothing of my sordid past, uh, as well as those of you who, who knew more of my backstory, uh, is that I am so grateful for the ways that all of you have welcomed me into this congregation. Those who didn't know me simply accepted me as a new friend. You welcomed me at face value. Those who knew that I was an ordained minister in the United Church uh, resisted the urge to ask me all sorts of questions about that uh, and about why I was here and resisted the urge to recruit me onto all sorts of uh, church committees. You just, yeah, <laughs> unsuccessfully, yes. Uh, for the most part, you just let me be. And I, can, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart that has made all the difference to me. And I thank you. I thank you. But enough about me. I'm here today to speak with you about Scripture, about these stories that Scripture serves up for us on this Transfiguration Sunday. Now, I think these two things are related, the story of my own journey and the central theme of Transfiguration Sunday, but we'll come back to that in a minute. The story of the Transfiguration presented today in the Gospel of Luke is a mystical story. It's a story that resists our attempts to fit it into categories that make sense to us. We're tempted to use metaphorical language in this, in this instance, you know, to talk about this as a dreamlike experience. We're told that the, the disciples were sleepy. We might think of it as a, a vision, a mystical mountaintop experience. Now, I'll be the first to admit that scripture, stri scripture stories can be read metaphorically, and in some instances they really ought to be. But I think there are other times when scripture, the story wants to be understood at a far simpler level, almost in a, dare I say it, a, a literal kind of manner. So this story, read simply, read just as it is. The story tells us that Jesus and his closest disciples go up on a mountain, the boundary between earth and heaven. And while they're there on the boundary, the boundary itself disappears. And they are able to see things that they don't normally see, heavenly things. They're given a momentary glimpse into the true nature of reality, something that is normally hidden, veiled from view. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, this notion of a revelation, because after all, we're in the season of epiphany, the season of revelation. It's the season that began with the story of the visit of the wise men to baby Jesus, and then the story of Jesus' baptism, the whole purpose of this season, from the beginning of January until now, has been this, to reveal who Jesus is. That Jesus is God's Son, God's beloved, God's chosen, and that he speaks with the full authority of God the Father. 
You heard that in the voice from the cloud today. It's a very direct echo of the voice at Jesus' baptism. These two stories, the, the baptism at one end of Epiphany and transfiguration at the other, they function as bookends for the season of Epiphany, the season that reveals who Jesus really is. Perhaps better yet, the, the story of transfiguration functions as an exclamation point at the end of the season of the Epiphany. The story, you know, it almost hits us over the head with its declaration. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah are there as witnesses to testify that Jesus is who he says he is. The culmination of the law represented by Moses and the tradition of the prophets represented by Elijah. That in Jesus we have the culmination of God's entire history with God's people going back to the very, very beginning. So, this is what I mean when I say reading this story simply. This is kind of the programmatic purpose of this story today. It is to loudly and clearly proclaim that Jesus is none other than the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who speaks and acts with the full authority of God the Father. Now I want to say a couple of things about this and why it matters. And this is where I want to come back to my own story for a minute. So I was a United Church minister for a number of years when I went back to school to pursue a Doctor of Ministry degree. When I applied and entered the program, I had only the vaguest notion of what I wanted to study during, during the time of the degree. But at the same time, I felt almost magnetically drawn, called to participate in the program that I ended up enrolling in. It was at a school in North Carolina. And while I was there, I discovered a few things. I found a cohort of colleagues who spoke a language that I instantly realized I had been yearning to speak. It was a language about a relationship with Jesus, about what a difference knowing Jesus was making in our lives. I started to notice a gap between the conversations, these heart conversations I was having with my colleagues at school, and the kind of conversations I was able to have with my United Church colleagues at home. At the end of the program, we had to prepare a thesis, a book-length paper uh, summarizing what we had learned. So I chose to write about the United Church, about its recent history, and about some of its current controversies. You may have heard of the atheist minister in the United Church. Uh, while I was writing, though, something happened that I had not expected. An idea revealed itself. A persistent thought pushed its way up through the, the stacks of books and piles of papers on my desk and presented itself on the page. It was an epiphany. I didn't ask for it, and it, it's not something that just came out of my own thinking process. It was something that revealed itself with stunning clarity. And at first, you know, perhaps like Peter and John and James on the mountain, at first I didn't know what to make of this idea. 
But eventually it became the central idea in my thesis as it grew in clarity for me. And this idea was the very thing that we have been talking about today in the story of the Transfiguration. It's the question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What dawned on me, what revealed itself to me in the writing of what became my book was this. I needed to belong to a Christian community that was able to affirm that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, the one who speaks with the full authority of God the Father. At the very least, I needed to belong to a community where making that assertion was not controversial, where making that assertion, even if we didn't understand the full implications of it, we were able to make that assertion and and wrestle with what it meant for us and how we live our lives in the world. Now, please do not take this at all as a judgment or criticism of my, my beloved friends in the United Church of Canada. But what I began to realize is that there is just a great deal more ambiguity, a great deal more ambiguity in the United Church about the identity of Jesus than I was comfortable with. It became clear to me that there's a very big difference between saying Jesus is a very enlightened human being, a very wise teacher, and believing that Jesus is the Son of God who speaks with the authority of the Father. Now, this doesn't mean I've become a fundamentalist or a literalist. It just means that I'm someone who starts from the baseline of what scripture and tradition tell us about Jesus and then is willing to wrestle with that and the implications for my life. What we believe about Jesus, who we think Jesus is, makes all the difference in the world. Here's an example. I want to finish with an example of why. This past week in St. Louis, delegates from the United Methodist Church met to discuss issues around the participation of LGBTQ people, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer identified people in their church. Specifically, they were addressing the ordination of LGBTQ people and the provision of same-sex wedding services. Their church had become increasingly polarized into two groups over the past 40 years over these issues. And this meeting was called by their bishops who presented a plan for these two warring factions to be able to live together within one denomination. The plan that the bishops presented failed when it was put to a vote. And it was replaced by a plan that actually further increased the restrictions on the participation of LGBTQ people in the Methodist Church. And now there's a widespread concern in the wake of this meeting that the Methodist Church will in fact fracture, will split in two. In the aftermath of the meeting, I saw a Facebook post from a Methodist pastor. He pointed out that there were people of deep faith in both camps. He pointed out further that people on both sides of this issue, people for and against the further inclusion of LGBTQ people, people in both camps are often driven more by their ideology than by their faith. He wrote about the danger that ensues when the church starts policing who is in and who is out, when we think of ourselves as the sheep gate, rather than remembering we're all just sheep. It's an image that Jesus uses in John chapter 10. It says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. It's the good shepherd. 
This Methodist pastor concluded with these words, those who call Jesus Lord do not get to choose who we love. We gave that up when we chose him. This is why it matters what we believe about Jesus. Because if Jesus is the gate, then we are not the gatekeepers. If Jesus is Lord, then our ideologies are not. If Jesus speaks with the full authority of God the Father, then we do not. We do not have the final word. Affirming that Jesus is Lord, Messiah, the Son of God, the one who speaks with the full authority of God, puts us in our place in a good way. It keeps us on our knees, humble before God and before our neighbor. And I think that's a good place for us to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.